this is Ross Payton for Unspeakable, uh, the podcast about uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and in this episode, Delta Green, we're talking here with Kenneth Height uh, about his work on the Delta, the new Delta Green Kickstarter, I should correct myself. Uh, in particular, The Fall of Delta Green, a new gumshoe engine game uh, about Delta Green. Uh, Kenneth, say hello. Uh, hi, how's it going, Ross? <laughs> Uh, very good. Um, so the Delta Green, new Delta Green Kickstarter is in full swing right now. Uh, we, uh, as of this recording, are just south of 150,000 mm-hmm. uh, and should be getting there. So the fall of Delta Green is about Delta Green from the post-World War II era to 1970, which uh, Operation Obsidian, uh, where it became, where it was disbanded uh, as an official part of the U.S. government. Uh, is that more or less right, or is it a, a more narrow focus? Uh, the focus is on specifically the decade of the 1960s. I mean, to some 1960s. extent, before, say, 1962, 1963, what they're doing is going to be really close resembling what they were doing in the 1950s, which is mostly finding deep ones and stomping them, finding Nazis and stomping them. But they're about done with the Nazis by the 1960s. Yeah. And it, just like the CIA did, much like the rest of the American covert bureaucracy that Delta Green is the dark mirror of, in the 1960s, they started to believe their own press releases. And they started to say, hey, there's nothing we can't do. We have the power of the U.S. government behind us so we can end poverty and fix cancer and solve intractable thousand-year-old problems in Asia. And other sorts of decisions that got made on the macro level are reflected by decisions that Delta Green makes on the micro level, such as, well, I just think no one's really looked at this Neolathotep problem in a good, solid, technocratic way before, and I'm pretty sure we can fix it if we just put our minds to it and put a little good old-fashioned Robert S. McNamara-style know-how into it. And so it's the story specifically of how Delta Green goes from being a core, if very secret part of the U.S. federal bureaucracy to being so tainted and poisoned that no one wants anything to do with it. And it's very much the fall of Delta Green is both a, you know, sort of a pun of the autumn of Delta Green after their high summer in the 40s and 50s, but it's also about how they managed to um, uh, drive themselves underground. The notion that, you know, the cowboy universe of Delta Green is actually, it's a bad thing because they don't have all those great government resources and they have to do a lot more lying and killing witnesses back in the new, in the new days of the 90s and aughts than they do now uh, in the 1960s or I guess now again in the modern uh, Obama right. era of Delta Green. Right, the war on terror, mm-hmm. uh, DHS, uh yeah, exactly. Post nine eleven, as right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is kind of sounds like a story of hubris more than anything else. Yeah. Although it's also, of course, the same old Delta, the same good old Delta Green story of being the only people on the planet who can save the planet and having to do it with uh, whatever comes to hand. It's just that whatever comes to hand in the nineteen sixties is potentially the full uh, power of the United States government, and in the nineteen nineties, it was not. And it combines that feel that you'll have in the modern day Delta green with also the sort of, Oh, we've seen this movie before. We know how it starts. And here in the fall of Delta green, we kind of know how it ends too. Uh, that the act of tangling with the mythos, while it is a noble act is still inherently a corrupting act. And it's still an act that carries with it the seeds of its own destruction. And that I think was always one of the great things about John's original vision was that these guys who are doing everything right and everything noble and everything good, by the act of doing it, 
are still doomed. They're still doomed to poison and death and hubris and destruction and madness. And that is uh, when John sort of paints that onto the institutional level back in 1992. Uh, I think that it is always good to sort of touch that up and maybe in this case add a little day glow and see what it was like in 1960s. Uh, I, 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 I'm fascinated by the idea, especially the technocratic uh, side of it. I like the idea of, you know, the, the sort of Camelot kind of version of uh, administration of government uh, being brought on, <laughs> well, intractable problems, I guess you, you could say. Um, now, I, ha- I don't remember the exact timeline for Majestic 12, but Majestic 12 is obviously around in this era. Yeah. Uh, and because obviously Roswell is, you know, 1947. Mm-hmm. And uh, what but they obviously aren't as antagonistic as they become in the in the, the first edition of Delta Green. Uh, what was the relationship exactly uh, at that time? Or like, what are you doing with that? Well, I think uh, are they just yeah, I, I think that the goal for Majestic 12 is to have them be the sort of guys who are um, monkeying around with stuff. But the assumption on Delta Green's part is that once you've got sort of the, the sharp corners broken off of it, you can send it to Majestic 12, right? That okay. Majestic 12 is going to be not quite the domestic half of it, but maybe the domesticated half of it. That their their job is to work out the implications. And I think Delta Green right now maybe thinks of them as sort of a think tank, not so much as a competing bureaucracy that they suddenly become – uh, in the 80s and 90s, when they sort of do the treaty with the Migo and everything right. begins to go horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, but, you know, Majestic 12 are not going to be the focus of the book. They'll be present in it because, of course, it's the whole Delta Green universe. But the core narrative of this story is the Delta Green operatives. And Majestic 12 is going to have a side role and a side character. And maybe you, you used to be on Majestic 12 and you got transferred over to Field. And that's why you're in Delta Green, or maybe you're in Delta Green and you need to go and get a, a favor from Majestic 12 for whatever reason. But the focus is on Delta Green, and that's, similarly, we're not going to be focusing on Pisces or GRU8 or any of the other groups that are out there in the world doing the same sorts of things, because this is the Delta Green story. Um, so yeah, the, it sounds like they're kind of like a skunk works kind of right. uh, yeah. the lab. Send it to the lab, boys, so we could they can figure it out later. Right, that's that's uh, sort of the approach. And then again, obviously, at some level, um, uh, once uh, the the core Delta Green books are done, um, and the the and I'm not talking about the rules books, but so much as the the case officers book, the part that clues people what, in as to what the what the story is. Then I will go back to Dennis and, uh, and Scott and, and, uh, the, and Greg and the rest of the gang and say, here's what I'm seeing as, as the sort of bits of the sixties that I really think are, are, are going to be uh, story forward and make things happen. And then they will say, great. And I will go and do that. But I'm, I'm reluctant to promise a bunch of stuff that if it turns out I have uh, been reading stuff into the material, or maybe that's not the way they want to take it, that they come and they, they put a thumb on my head and we've started a great big ugly slap <laughs> fight here on the, on the podcast. Oh no. Uh, yeah. A, a canon conflict. Right. Uh, I mean, because obviously it's their canon and, and their canon right. controls. And it's not like I have a shortage of great things I can uh, make up and insert even on the purest level of your, you know, supposedly with the CIA, but you're actually with Delta green. What do you do? You know, you're right. supposedly with blue book, but you're actually with Delta green. What do you do? You're supposedly with whatever, but you're actually with Delta green. What do you do? There's any number of just pure surface adventures possible in the 1960s that can go on because it's the age not just of uh, Vietnam but also 
of uh, COINTELPRO. You know, you're supposedly FBI infiltrating uh, domestic protest movements. But one of those domestic protest movements is maybe a little hinky. What do you do? You know, the, there's right. all manner of stuff. There's the space race, right? You're you're supposedly with NASA, but actually, you know, just saying things that are doing stuff in the 60s should start your your motor running as 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 uh, as notions about what happens when you are the the tip of the spear there or the tip of the sword. Uh, have you read uh, uh, Extraordinary Renditions yet? The new uh, fiction anthology. I have read. I have read parts of it. I have read my story paperclip, for example, <laughs> which is very good, by the oh, way. I, I have read up to that point. I actually An unsolicited uh, testimonial. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to mention that uh, because uh, another story, Cody Goodfellow's uh, story, I can't yeah, remember Gansfeld the name. Gate. Yeah, it's really uh, good. about. Yes. Oh, so you have read. Well, I've read. Um, I mean, when you get an yeah. anthology of Cthulhu Mythos stories, and Cody Goodfellow wrote one of them, <laughs> that's the story you read first, unless you wrote a story in it as well. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and that that actually you you brought up Co Intel Pro, and that was uh, what made me remember that because obviously there's the the that's the whole premise of the story is that there's an undercover guy, Co Intel Pro, going into a psychedelic commune mm. slash cult, uh, and that whole narco not angle to delta green uh i don't want to get too much in the spoilers for the story but it's about using psychedelic drugs and exploring the mythos mm -hmm. um and that i mean that that's a fascinating thing i mean that's a little later for delta green because they specifically yeah. mentioned that it's after uh the disbandment yeah, but I mean, gansfeld gate is the 70s uh it's sort of the burnout half of the 60s right. turn on tune in uh right but the turn on tune in i mean that produces the manson cult right there's plenty right. of Bad cess coming down in the 60s. You don't have to wait until after Altamont to have the wreck of the 1960s start happening. Uh, but are you going to be uh, – so my question really was uh, – that was sort of a leading to the question, which was uh, are you looking at just the, the RPG or are you going to be looking at the fiction as well? Because there's you know uh, a multitude of stories now and other material. Uh, I mean I recently talked to uh, Gil Trevisio and he's doing the operational history and he's looking at everything yeah. to put it all in one big time. Well, I think I'm, I'm uh, first of all, I'm going to be, uh, very, very grateful that Gil is going to do the timeline because I have done lots of, uh, licensed material and it always helps if someone else wrote the timeline and the encyclopedia first, and then I can decide what to put in or what to, uh, emphasize. But yeah, I'll be looking at all of the Delta green material. It's not like star Trek. It's not like I have to go and do right. huge amounts of, of reading. It's a, pretty robust world for one created by five or six guys, but it's not, you know, Star Wars. So right. it, it, it yeah. should be pretty easy for me to go back and certainly separate out the parts that happened between 1960 and 1970 and uh, make sure that I have my own takes on them and my own opportunities for them. Because, uh, again, there's lots of stuff happening in the real world uh, as it connects to the U.S. government in the 1960s. And yeah. that's even before I start getting into things that the British are doing that maybe Delta Green had a watching brief on. Um, they're, they're fighting a guerrilla war in Malaya. They're fighting a guerrilla war in the Aden. Both of those are, at the very least, mythos adjacent, if not mythos direct. And that's the sort of thing that the CIA would have had guys on the ground in. And that's exactly the sort of thing that Delta Green would have guys on the ground in. And are they working with the last remnants of Pisces before the Shan swallow them up? Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Hard to say. Uh, so... Uh, one thing that's different about this, obviously, than uh, the main rule book is that obviously you're using the gumshoe system. Right. Uh, and 
one, you know, you previously worked on Night's Black Agent, uh, which, you know, spies versus vampires has a lot of new rules and mechanics for it. Uh, are you thinking about excreting new mechanics for the fall of Delta Green? I mean, obviously. I like excreting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer to think of it as, as uh, forming them out of spun isinglass and rainbows. But sure, there's a degree of excretion. <laughs> Um, because obviously like, you know, with a, an official bureaucracy behind them, they can, you know, uh, preparedness checks are going to be a little different, I would imagine, uh, or at least requisitioning, you know, equipment or, uh, favors again from, uh, Majestic 12 or whoever. Uh, but are there any sort of, um, new mechanics? Or are you going to be, uh, doing any like campaign framework stuff like you've done for Armitage Files and Dracula dossier? Uh, or I don't know what, what, in terms of like the table of contents, what are you thinking? Or have you gotten that far? Well, the things that I've been thinking right now are sort of the really sort of high end questions. And so I know, for example, that I want to have bonds that show up in the Delta green game. Mm. I want to gumshoe equivalent those. Cause it's a really terrific idea. Um, I am now uh, sort of back and forth because Greg did all manner of fun things with sanity in Delta Green that are not present in Call of Cthulhu. And some of those uh, overlap with some things that we've done in Trail and some of those slightly go in a different direction from what we've done in Trail. And the question is, do I want to make it as close to Trail as possible so that people who have been playing Trail of Cthulhu can adopt it? Or do I want to make it maybe a little closer to what Greg has done? And so it's those areas that are the falling in between. Another thing, though, that I've done is in Night's Black Agents and then in uh, Moondust Men, which is my 1970s UF ho-hunting uh, gumshoe campaign frame or gumshoe game uh, in Ken Writes About Stuff. I've been assuming that bureaucracy is a it can be a general ability. So you, to engage in bureaucratic combat to get what you want in a, out of a, a recalcitrant bureaucracy such as the federal government is oh, wow. a skill much like punching someone. It, it can go right. It can go wrong. You can put in a lot of work over a long period of time or you can try a, a quick maneuver to outflank them. And so I'm pretty sure that bureaucracy, for example, becomes a general ability in the world of Delta Green because, as you say, they've got to go and requisition stuff. So they'll still have preparedness. It'll still be, what did you bring into the field? Because the point of preparedness is to stop characters from making long lists of crap and, and move <laughs> through the game. But bureaucracy will be a way to say, could we get an artillery strike if we needed one? Um, could we get uh, you know, access to the SR-70 or to the U-2 photos, right? Um, right. Uh, what, what, what can we have that, that, that lets us uh, move into it? Along those same lines, um, I'm very, very seriously thinking about making your organization that you're titularly a part of, that you come to Delta Green out of, have mechanical influence. So that if you come to Delta Green out of the NSA, then you have a better chance of getting SIGINT than another guy. If you come to Delta Green out of uh, the park rangers, on the other hand, you have a better chance of knowing your way around a national park or having outdoors experience or having some other bonuses. And so the notion being that when you, the player, come together into the Delta Green bureaucracy, that you're able to bring a little of that organizational uh, flavor from your old organization or use your contacts in the old organization to sort of see the cowboy group that it will be in OVO here. Because it begins as an interdisciplinary group in the same way that the special operations groups in Vietnam were interdisciplinary. They weren't all military. There was a, a, a military arm to it. But it was also CIA guys and there was also State Department guys and there were civil affairs guys that would be sent out into Vietnam in these little teams of 
you know, a dozen guys with a whole bunch of, you know, generally Vietnamese uh, uh, escorts, uh, military, uh, you know, ablative shielding escorts. But the but the actual SOG was very interdisciplinary. And so I think that if we think of Delta Green as the SOG uh, for the world, uh, the special operations group that's going out there, then I can have a reason why, well, no, it's a guy from the Smithsonian Institution is along on this mission, as opposed to, nope, it's just a bunch of U.S. Marines and CIA uh, pukes. Uh, and <laughs> it makes it a more fun universe and a bigger universe, and it sort of casts its way forward into that uh, cowboy era and lets you know that that's where they, they all retreat back to their their hidey holes and, and, and respawn. Uh, and it, I, I, it sounds fascinating. I love the idea of like your previous occupation giving a unique edge to your character mm -hmm. uh, instead of, I mean, Delta Green games are often like FBI guy, FBI guy, special forces guy, and then the scientist, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but uh, one, you did mention like calling in art artillery strikes, which sort of implies that there will be scenarios that require artillery strikes or can be greatly uh, helped if the players can call it. Well, I don't know how much so. help it will be, but <laughs> if a Delta green team is in Vietnam or in Laos or in Cambodia or in, you know, Dominican Republic, depending, um, they should have every expectation that, yeah, they can maybe get a bombing run. If they need one, they can maybe get an artillery strike. They can maybe get the, the, the whole point of working for the federal government is that in theory, there is an atom bomb waiting for you if you really need it. And I think that that, should be something that being part of the government at least allows you to dream about, even if no, you do not actually get clearance to have an atom bomb. But maybe you get to move a pre-existing nuclear test down a weekend if you've got a really strong argument for why it would be important to nuke this Pacific Atoll on Saturday as opposed to right now. Um, because the gate is going to open on Saturday and it's really important that the nuke go off while people are trying to poke their head into our universe. I see that that that's part of the fun of being part of the government, especially in the 1960s, when you when you believe that literally anything can be solved with a precisely calibrated amount of air power or a precisely calibrated amount of federal funding. Uh, interesting. So you're writing scenarios that will take advantage of these kind of – because obviously the typical Delta Green thing uh, has been – very model on the classic Call of Cthulhu thing where a couple of people with a few guns, a few shotguns and Tommy guns, dynamite and moldy old books try and save the world from cultists. But this is obviously and if there's something like Cthulhu, you don't have the boat to ram into mm -hmm. his head or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, obviously, you're probably not at the level where you're writing scenarios, but have you thought of any outlines or anything yet or any you know pitches i guess i, I for think Jesus for the core book we're gonna have two scenarios uh, if i get my way um and one will be domestic and one will be foreign and the domestic one obviously you can't have a bombs you can't have artillery you right. have to be more conventionally sneaking around type delta green uh but the foreign scenario in theory if it's in vietnam which uh, i would ma imagine is very likely there's no reason you can't have you know an arc light strike if you need it and the scenario should be written to assume that, yeah, you can escalate. But guess what? Escalation didn't solve Vietnam either. Um, right. <laughs> and, well, I mean, and, the, and right now, Barry whole... Goldwater is shaking his fist and saying, that's because you didn't do it early enough. But <laughs> if they show up on site and they immediately call for a bombing run, well, maybe they've solved it. But maybe they've just right. blown it into little pieces. And now it's floating on the wind down to Saigon. Or they blew up the only clue that could have stopped. Right, exactly. Uh, oh, you blew uh, up the inscription. Good job, guys. <laughs> 
the and in fact that attitude is what leads to the fall of Delta Green. Exactly. The notion that if we just have enough bombing runs, we can fix it all. Uh, so, uh, in terms, aside from the mechanics and, uh, aside from the kind of scenarios, uh, you're, you're looking at, um, are, are there any other things you're trying to do to distinguish it between that and the, um, other Delta Green material? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you've already mentioned, yeah, sanity mechanics. Um, I would imagine different threats would probably be another thing because what is like, what is the U S facing? What is Delta Green facing? Uh, domestically, obviously in foreign, that's kind of hinted at with the uh, uh, Chow Chow and Vietnam and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, there's not, I don't, I don't remember anything out in the the fiction that I've read so far that kind of implies what Delta Green was worried about in the '60s. Well, that's one of the fun things about getting to do the '60s is it's an area that has really not been explored in the fiction right. or in the or in the rules, and so I have more of a free hand. I think. I think that. We're looking at maybe bringing the Loigor onto the stage more firmly in the new Delta Green. But if the Loigor are behind the rise of the cruel empire of San Chan, maybe the Loigor are active in communist China somehow. And that's going to be, or if they're not, that's going to be something the Delta Green is worried that they are. Um, we've got, uh, obviously, the, the uh, cult of Cthulhu is run by deathless Chinamen in the mountains. And maybe that's what they're worried about. And there is going to be the perennial concern that was true in the sixties about psychic missiles is what did the Soviets know and how are they weaponizing it? Um, whatever else is going on with GRU eight, they are not trading information with Delta green, right? They are, right. they are not out there saying, comrade, let us work together to defeat Azathoth." Right. So Delta green is the remnants of the character, a yeah. real remit to say, are the communists up to something? And even if the Soviet government isn't, is there a Soviet Delta Green? And maybe the Soviet Delta Green had to go underground under Stalin and got purged in some sort of wild cowboy intelligence agency. Oh, my God, there's nothing scarier than that. Maybe we should <laughs> hunt those guys down and snap them off the streets of Berlin and interrogate them. <laughs> uh, what could possibly what go could wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Not a thing. But I, I think that <laughs> part of the fun of that of the universe is that because it was born in the 90s and was so firmly post-Cold War through its whole existence that the Delta Green has never really had to look at the Cold War. And I think that's what the 60s are going to really let me do is have the whole notion that, yeah, Nirlathotep is a threat, but so is Khrushchev. You know, they both want to destroy the world. And I'm not sure which one is the worst problem today, right? Because right. coming after the Cuban Missile Crisis, it's a, you know, oh my God, there was also a Shubnigarath cult that might have, you know, poisoned all the grain in Iowa. There was some crazy Russians that almost irradiated the Western Hemisphere. Maybe that's a bigger problem today. Uh, well, there's also the idea, yeah, they could also conf uh, co-inflate the two mm -hmm. uh, uh, by thinking, well, what if, you know, uh, Khrushchev is secretly Nyarlathotep, or what if, you know, they're secretly, uh, or to perceive every single uh, hippie or uh, counterculture person as a cultist. And again, I mean, uh, I look at, for example, the real life world of the Manson uh, cult. And in the real world, the Manson cult managed to make a lot of people in the 1960s believe that every single hippie was at the very least a sex crazed murderer or a Satanist. And that's why Nixon gets elected, for, among other reasons. Um, so I think that it's not too big a jump for Delta Green to say, yeah, everyone who's taking acid is inherently in league with Dayaloth, and we just have to make sure that their pineal <laughs> glands have all been shut down one way or the other. 
Yeah, uh, I could definitely see that. And so in the world of Delta Green, maybe they are. I mean, maybe they don't know that they are. Maybe they're simple, you know, dummies, but they're out there opening the doors of perception. And if there's one thing Lovecraft has taught us, you open the doors of perception, those doors open both ways. That's true. Uh, the of course it, it could be you could play against type and have the the squares actually being uh, the secret cultists or something like that, or uh, having the hippies being the ones who no one have seen enough to figure out how to to seal the gate or whatever. Well, it one is. of the many uh, wonderful things yeah. about uh, the Lovecraft universe is that everyone who knows something about it is a potential danger, whether they yeah. be J. Edgar Hoover or um, Abby Hoffman. That each one of them has just as much potential to. Uh, let in the the badness as the other yeah. one. So Delta Green, however, is going to begin with an institutional uh, presupposition that J. Edgar Hoover, while maybe not necessarily their buddy, uh, is at the very least their staunch ally because uh, J. Edgar Hoover, remember, saw the deep ones, right? He was there being taken on the little tour when they captured all the deep ones from Innsmouth. Oh, so that's whatever right. else is wrong with J. Edgar he definitely knows the mythos is a threat. And maybe that's why he ignores organized crime because he's like, so a bunch of Italians get rich. I seriously have to stop deep ones from destroying America. <laughs> yeah. And he can't exactly explain that to the common man or show him no, photos. From right. Because Project that Covenant. makes the problem worse. So what he says yeah. is he says, yeah, you go and try and change my perspective. But meanwhile, yeah. I'm going to send a bunch of guys to infiltrate hippies. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, recently I've been uh, listening to a podcast called You Must Remember This, and they, they're doing a series on uh, Charlie Manson's uh, Hollywood, which goes into the background of that era. Uh, not just the, the cultists themselves, but like what Hollywood is like, what San Francisco is like. And one point they make is how many other gurus that were out there competing with Charlie Manson. At one point he takes – he moves his cult further away uh, in a more isolated area uh, from one ranch to another so that the other gurus couldn't poach uh, the women from his cult. And uh, so, I mean, you and then there's just thousands of wannabe singers and artists and the Hollywood royalty who just view these people as uh, amusing side attractions, but have no intention of giving them uh, are just, you know, so rich and bored. They're they only hang out with them as an amusement. Uh, it's it's a sort of a rich tapestry for a mythos aware uh, for a Delta Green game. Uh, and I mean, you, you can see this all over the country, I guess. Uh uh, counterculture people, uh, the civil rights movement too, uh, just a lot of unrest in the country. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously the civil rights movement is a classic example of a group that by and large was not just, you know, non-threatening, but actively heroic in the sense of doing great yeah. things. But there were a lot of little groups that either glommed onto them or were brought up, you know, brought along in the sort of broad front politics of the day that had entirely different agendas. And, you know, uh, you don't necessarily have to believe that the Black Panthers were uh, a grave threat to uh, America's survival to believe that maybe they and Martin were not on the same page at all times. And right. it isn't that big a jump to say maybe somewhere in there there's some individual sect of uh, near Lothotep worshippers, just like in the uh, in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, they may, uh, by and large, all of them just be uh, – racist simpletons, but maybe there's a little knot of them that are a little bit worse. So anything human can be perverted to the mythos. And that's going to be true of noble humanity just as much as it is ignoble humanity. And again, that's one of the messages of the 1960s, because in the 60s is that last gasp of everyone believing that if we all just 
you know, put our shoulders together and work right, we can solve all the problems of the world. And of course, that turns out to be horribly wrong, both on the conventional level, but the mythos argument is that it's also wrong on the cosmic level. Wow. Uh, no, this, I mean, yeah, it, it sound, it, it's an interesting premise because, you know, most horror games are set in the shadows and they don't have this sort of backdrop of hope and optimism in you in progress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all like, oh, we're just getting by with scraps and we're barely clinging on and we're just, you know, stalling the apocalypse one day at a time. But in this, you have the best and brightest, uh, you know, literally, uh, you know, as Mac Monero uh, would say, uh, or was... That that would uh, best and brightest. That was what they. No, that was was that the astronauts or was that McNamara? Yeah, it was McNamara. McNamara's team with the best and the brightest. Uh, and he they, yeah. And so you you have everything that humanity can do, and uh, then just having that crush, you know, against the the uh, uh, I, I don't know the vastness of the mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like it'd be more horrifying than. Uh, any other type of mythos game or a horror game. So essentially, I mean, it's uh, at least different. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's different. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you have, I mean, obviously this is probably way early to ask about, uh, timelines or schedules or whatnot, but, uh, I, I feel like I have to ask for timelines or schedules. Uh, do you have any idea of when you'll be creating, like, are you going to be doing like an open beta or anything where people can like read or I uh, draft doubt that we're going to have the opportunity to do an open beta. We'll probably wind up having some play test at some point and how much of it gets play tested will be up to, uh, thank God cat, uh, not me. Um, but I think, suspect that there will be at least something that people can start looking at next spring because next spring. we would like oh, to okay. have the book out next gen con for reasons right and yeah. so therefore you know i would assume that next spring would be the here's what we've got tell me if we added things wrong but i i mean i and i mean no uh, disrespect to anyone but there's about four people who can tell me that I'm wrong about Delta green. And there's one person who can tell me that I'm wrong about gumshoe. And if those five people sign off, you know, there's not going to be, right. I think a lot of pushback that is needed, uh, really, uh, because the mechanical parts of it are going to be what they are. And right. the Delta green parts of it are going to be what they are. And the rest is like, well, I disagree with your take on the great society. Well, you and everybody else, dude, that's why we have elections. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, what what kind of uh, in terms of percentage or what like for mechanics versus setting versus scenarios do you think it's going to be break down like about equal or are you going to be more setting heavy or uh, is that still up in the air? I mean the the goal is to make it a completely self contained playable game, yeah. and so that means that some amount of it is going to have to be mechanics. I think if you look at Trail of Cthulhu, you you can sort of see what the breakdown is going to look like. Um, I think that there will be a shorter monster section and a shorter mythos section just because Delta Green doesn't know as much right. about the world. And one of the goals that I'm going to try and make for the book in my own heart is that if the Delta Green doesn't know about it, it's not in the book, right? So Delta right. Green doesn't know all those zillion great old ones. Delta Green knows maybe six great old ones. Uh, Delta Green doesn't know all these zillion monsters. Delta Green maybe knows a dozen monsters. And so that will let me present the dozen monsters with more variations and more possibilities and more, well, we know that the Innsmouth type A does this, but the Innsmouth type B does this other stuff. Maybe they're, are they different types? Are they connected to the Shoggoth that we hear about, but have only seen two of, and one of them we don't know because all the witnesses are crazy. 
Um, <laughs> you know, we and so they have they have the, the some fragments of the Lovecraftian universe that exist so they can go back to the records of, of Antarctica or whatever. But they don't have Call of Cthulhu, the role playing game to sort through. They've got right. a bunch of misunderstandings and some of that is going to wind up in the book. And so therefore uh, we'll wind up with maybe a little bit more on the 60s than Trail has on the 30s, even though the 60s are in theory a more familiar time than Trail's 30s. Uh, so that's, I think, where a lot of it is going to wind up breaking down. I'm going to uh, present the rules in about the same amount of space, but some big part of the rules section, I'm going to work to make sure that it also starts counting as, oh, right, this is what the 60s are like. Computers are giant blinking lights with uh, tape drives on the front. They're, they're not actually computers at all by our human understanding of computers. And so right. when I ta have the computer use skill, it's not going to feel like the digital intrusion skill in uh, right. uh, Nice Black Agents does. Uh, that's Yeah, I, I, I like that take because uh, I think one of the things that New Delta Green is doing is, you know, they're breaking the books down between the agents and the case officer's handbook. And the agent's handbook is like, here's the rules, here's what you need to run the game, but there's nothing about the mythos because you as the GM can dis determine what is true and what is not. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could create, you know, anything from a techno thriller where it's just rogue Majestic 12 technologies uh, derived from alien science that are going nuts to full-on mythos, let monster mash with dozens of gods and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, or anything in between. And it sounds like you're trying to go not exactly the same thing, but like kind of similar where you can take what you want and build upon it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't have the luxury of two books, basically. I have to put it all right. into one and explain what the 1960s are to people whose only understanding of it is hearing the doors when they walk into a grocery store that caters to old people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. And that, that, like, you know, Call of Cthulhu has become synonymous with the 20s uh, for a lot of people, or Cthulhu in general has become synonymous with the 20s because of that. They made it a very strongly historical game, mm -hmm. you know, Stafford and the other people, Chaosium. And that's one of the reasons that I yeah. made Trail in the 1930s is because Chaosium really kind of owned the 1920s. And I yeah. wanted to get my own decade to let Trail sort of, you know, spread its, its wings a little bit. And I think that getting to play with the 1960s is another way of getting my own decade away from John and uh, Dennis and Scott, uh, who, of course, I love. But for me right. to do a 1990s uh, gumshoe Delta Green would be kind of reinventing the wheel, whereas doing the 60s is right. something that no one has really done a lot of. And I think that I can play around with it. And sure, there's that giant Vietnam book that has been uh, floating, <laughs> that, that has always been um, uh, one <laughs> one good bombing run away from being done, just like real Vietnam. <laughs> Um, for a decade. Right. So, uh, the fan supplement, yeah, basically. right. And so that, that is sort of out there. Uh, but it, what that just means is it's a reminder to me that the sixties are bigger than Vietnam. And while Vietnam is right. a big, important part of it, even from a U.S. national security perspective, Vietnam in a lot of ways is kind of a distraction from the important stuff that's happening in the important parts of the world, like Europe and Northeast Asia. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I dig it. Uh, I, I, I can dig it. Uh, I guess you could say, um, what are you working on anything else for the new Delta green Kickstarter? Uh, I, there's so much going on that I can't remember. Um, I'm, I know doing, Robin... I'm doing bits of stuff for the case officers handbook. Um, okay. they've, uh, we have talked Shane and I and the rest of the uh, Delta green guys about things that are sort of the, the Ken parts of the universe that I will write 
And I think the chain wants me to look at the trade craft sections and some of the other stuff because I have given myself a fairly comprehensive education in espionage game design uh, while writing uh, Knights Black Agents and Dracula Dossier. And I think Shane wants to leverage some of that to make Delta Green as spy-y as it can be. And so I'll be having some role in the case officer's handbook, um, but not a not a giant role. It'll be, you know, right. an also appearing or a extra contrib- contributions by type credit, not a right. Ken Hyde and Greg Stoltze bring you. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I imagine like obviously the talking about the history of the sixties uh, in the case officer's handbook, the trade craft, are there any other particular sections they're wanting to tap you for? Uh, I know you mentioned the little uh, a little bit earlier. Are they going to, uh, want you to expand upon that in the case officer's book, or is that still up in the air? I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know if it's up in the air or if they just have not yet revealed it to me. I know what we've <laughs> talked about over the last couple of years is things that it would be good if Ken did. And I think okay. that now that the uh, uh, rubber is hitting the road and they also understand that anything I work on for them is uh, got to be done around the edges of fall of Delta green. Right. There's, you know, yeah. back and forth. And so, Obviously, okay. Shane, being a delightful fellow with excellent taste in freelancers, would love to have me write all of the book, uh, but understands that that's impossible. So I think that we are all going to get together and say, Ken can do this. Ken can do this. This is overlap with Fall of Delta Green, so we can kind of do it at the same time. This is completely divergent, so maybe someone else has to do that. And I think that uh, it's going to be up to Shane as to how many resources he has at the end of the day. If the Kickstarter keeps kicking on like this, perhaps he will have a lot of resources at the end of the day. Um, and a lot of it is going to be how much time do I have uh, in my uh, in my not uh, Pelgrain time. And Pelgrain, of course, is nice enough to fill up my official work day pretty full. Uh, so yeah. um, I'd be working on Delta Green on vacations and weekends and, and uh, you know, after hours. And so there's only a limited amount of time that I can spend doing that as opposed to, uh, you know, sleeping on the couch with my cat and other vital writer activities. Uh, I can appreciate that. Um, but before we go, uh, you know, you mentioned how having one decade to write a game uh, is sort of, you, you choose a decade that's thematically appropriate. And I think like with Trailer Cthulhu, you choose the 30s, which uh, is even more bleak and, you know, has that existential despair that I think is very appropriate for Cth- the, you know, Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with obviously 60s, the optimism of Great Society versus, you know, the mythos and then the hubris of Delta Green. Uh, those are both thematic fits. And Delta Green has obviously been sort of extensively covered in the 90s and is being covered for the up to now uh, for the new Delta Green. But that kind of leaves the 70s and 80s, which are mentioned and obliquely referenced. And I know I mentioned the Cody Goodfellow story earlier that's set in the early 70s. Um, If you just had like, you know, dream budget or they reach a ridiculous amount in the Kickstarter – uh, what would your in brief be t- takes of the seventies versus oh, and the eighties? I mean, obviously for me, you know, seventies is disco and the eighties is you know, uh, Wall Street and um, uh, cocaine wars in Miami, uh, but more than anything else. But obviously, I don't know. You're the master of history when it comes to gaming. So, well, I mean, I think that uh, with the seventies, you want to have the seventies be the decade of ruin, right? I mean. The, the, the 30s are despair, but the 70s are just ruin. Everything we thought was going to happen in the 60s either happened and went wrong, like Vietnam or public housing, or 
we just ruined it because we're jerks. And so the seventies are sort would be sort of the grinding along. We've ruined Delta green and it's the rebuilding of the cowboy era that they're just beginning to pick themselves up and notice, well, just because you suck doesn't mean the world isn't ending, get to work. And so it's going to be sort of the, the hangover era, I guess would be the feel of the seventies one. And then you could, yeah, you could have some disco and you could have some other, uh, uh, uh local color fun, but the seventies is the era of American retreat overseas. It's the era of detente. It's, you know, every, we're just uh, screw it. Rest of world. Let us sit here and enjoy our suddenly expensive gas and our suddenly ridiculous neckties. Um, and then I think that Delta green, a lot of it would be about, you know, having, you know, making the making the nineties world look rich and, and beautiful because you literally have nothing. You're, you're under super scrutiny by the church committee or it's, or it's version or it's equivalent. And uh, everything is awful. And then the eighties are just like they were the it's morning in America and it's morning in Delta green. And now there may not be any more official resources, but Bill Casey is a knight of Malta. Bill Casey is old school. Bill Casey knows that if you leave a big pile of machine guns around the people who need machine guns will come and get them whether they be the, the Contras or Delta Green. He's not picky. And so I think that you would have the sort of, all right, everything's back. Reagan's in charge. We're going to kick ass and the commies are going to come crawling uh, up to us to, to say they were sorry. And in a lot of ways, that's an accurate reading. But of course, in the world of Delta Green, it's like, oh, great, we're back. That means Majestic 12 suddenly has the confidence it needs to go do a deal that betrays the human race. And Delta Green suddenly has the access it needs to start opening a zillion doors all over the world with no idea of how to close them again. And everything that the 90s and thousands Delta Green has to fix is the things that the 80s Delta Green is sort of starting up again. And uh, so I think that that would be the fun thing about the 80s is, yeah, it's morning in America. And you know what happens in the morning? You can see shit. And that's <laughs> not necessarily what you want to have happen in uh, in, a, in a cosmic horror game either. So... There would still be some of that that, um, you know, uh, new Cold War. Uh, you'd have lots of, uh, uh, like you say, the cocaine wars. You'd So you'd have new gang wars in America's cities. So there'd be a lot of new exciting fronts of the warfare. But I think the feeling would be, um, oh, great, we have more power. Uh, did we need more power? Oh, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Those Mujahideen in Afghanistan look trustworthy. Yes. Let's go help them I out. I think that if we give local assets weapons, then they can stop the mythos for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is going to be that sort of, um, you know, scaring the players with the treasure stuff that really good Call of Cthulhu uh, uh, GMs were always able to do. You know, you find a box of hand grenades. I'm leaving the haunted house right now. I do not want to know what a box of hand grenades is for. That's uh, just not happy. So I think that that would be the sort of the eighties approach to it. But again, um, I think the sixties winds up saying so much about hubris and we've already really covered the cowboy era in the nineties. I think the seventies yeah. and the eighties would be fun from a completist viewpoint, but I don't think that they're as essential as right, right. the highest of highs and the cowboyest of cowboys. Uh, that's true. Uh, and, and as a side, every time I run a, uh, Delta green or a similar horror game and I let the players have whatever equipment they want, they get it very suspicious. Like I, I want a sniper rifle. Yeah, sure. You can have a sniper rifle. Well, wait a minute. Why? If he's just giving us a sniper rifle, clearly it, it's useless that we're doomed. Uh, it's not just so. useless. It's actively dangerous. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, um, so the fall of Delta green, uh, coming hopefully out next spring, uh, from Pelgrim press, uh, you can well, get it next uh, next Gen Con, hopefully. Next Gen Con for the 
print. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, th- something for the PDF. Maybe next spring. Yes. Uh, so, or one of those uh, uh, no art yet PDFs where you can uh, read it and right. and run games and be all very excited. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Delta Green Kickstarter is continuing now. You can get the Fall Delta Green uh, as an add-on for twenty-five dollars for the PDF or fifty dollars for the print book, uh, and it'll have some great art. I've seen. I remember seeing the postcard at Gen Con uh, with the helicopter uh, being grabbed by some sort of flying monstrosity. Was that specified, or was that just a flying? I can't remember exactly what it was. Was it supposed to be a Shantik or something? Uh, that art is actually from an adventure that we've already printed for Trail called Castle Bravo. <laughs> which is set in the 1950s uh, at a nuclear test. And the thing that's uh, reaching up to grab you is indeed a flying polyp. And Ah. so I I love the fact that Dennis, for whatever reason, had also drawn that helicopter's eye view of flying right into the mouth of a flying polyp. (laughs) So we have two flying polyp uh, meeting two different U.S. government helicopters. But that was sort of placeholder art because that, uh, while very apropos for Vietnam, uh, I think we're going to wind up with maybe a Huey being grabbed by by uh, by a flying polyp in our in our third example um and uh yeah the art i think dennis is going to do a bunch of the art and we're going to have lots of other uh really good artists if i know cat at all and i think i do so it's going to be you know and i don't know yet i don't know if we're going to wind up doing you know the whole thing with sort of a steranko uh uh pop art feel to it or if it's going to be more of a uh military uh reference type feel 1960s fonts throughout uh I'm just, this is very early days. I think that we can do a pretty great job, though, making the history present on every page without necessarily beating people's heads in with it. Great. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, so this has been Ross Payton with Unspeakable. Uh, support the Delta Green Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>